0: James chapter 3. Let's get at it. James chapter 3. Everyday faith, that's what they told me that we're stressing here in the book of James. And uh, that's, that's a good title for the book of James. Uh, it is a book about action, about putting our faith into action. You know, I, I, I had the opportunity to request the passage in James that I would like to teach. So I said, well, I like Chapter (laughs) 2, but my second choice would be Chapter (laughs) 4. I got assigned Chapter 3. The only problem with that is it's about talking. One of of the things I remember in the one-room white clapboard schoolhouse that I went to school in for the first four years of my education is a teacher telling me, you talk too much. She was fighting a a losing battle because uh, my my parents were raising a preacher. Uh, Talking is what we do. And it's it's a good thing, though, to be reminded of what the Bible has to say about speech. Uh, The book of James, in particular, has a lot to say about this subject, particularly chapter 3. So let's have a brief word of prayer. And uh, we'll talk about talking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with all of the abilities you've given us to hear, to see, to move, to feel, to speak, you've also given us uh, in your, your word the accountability we have for each of those faculties. I do pray that as we look into your word today, that it would result in us learning more about and putting into practice, in a practical way, uh, this wonderful ability that most of us have been given, the ability to speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I wasn't here for the instruction in chapters 1 or 2, but in chapter 1, as early as chapter 1, Uh, You, I'm sure, were introduced uh, or reminded, as the case may be, to chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ouch. That hurts. Uh, If if we've not learned to bridle our tongue, then whatever we, we claim to believe about the word of God about our worship of the Lord, about our service of him, uh, James gets right to the bottom line, doesn't he? He said it's worthless. So the, that, that gets my attention, especially as I stand before you today doing what? Using my tongue. And, and use it, using my lips here. Uh, if we care, if we really care, about living out a biblical kind of everyday faith, Speech really matters. Now, I've been given 30 minutes, which some of you know from past experience is a good introduction. <laughs> but it's not going to be the introduction today. It's going to be the whole deal. What I don't get said today, hopefully I'll be able to pour into that uh, next week and wrap it all up at that time. So I have no idea how far we're going to get today. We'll have to find out. Uh, According to the uh, Guinness organization, the all-time documented longest speech, I try to find the longest documented sermon. (laughs) That would have been hard to uh, to, to find maybe, but the, the longest documented speech ever delivered was a 90 hour, two minute masterpiece achieved by Uh, a fellow in Nepal. It began on August the 26th at 6.15 in the morning and finished at 12.17 on August the 31st. In order to prepare for that speech, the uh, gentleman who delivered it maintained silence for almost seven days before starting, just kind of resting up, getting ready to go. So the good news is I have not maintained any silence before speaking today. So this should be much, much less than uh, 90 hours. I don't speak that long anyway. It just seems that way. Uh, While there's uh, no objective way to actually identify the worst speech ever, uh, there is one that is usually placed in contention for that particular award. Do you happen to... Some of you know, we play this game. Who is that person on, on the uh, screen? Yes! William Henry Here For those of you who are wondering, who is that? He was a briefly tenured president of the United States. He delivered what many consider to be the worst ever inaugural address in history. Uh, 8,445 words one hour, 45 minutes of pure boredom, uh, delivered in a driving snowstorm, so everybody was really enjoying themselves. It not only killed the new president's uh, reputation as a public speaker, but one month later he died of pneumonia. So there you go. Maybe that was his punishment for, uh, for maybe the worst ever inaugural address. But thankfully, not, not all speeches are terrible. Uh, Lincoln, the brief, maybe that's the key. The brief Gettysburg Address recognized as quite possibly the greatest speech in all of American history. Speech can be good or bad. Let's, let's talk about this just a little bit before we get into the passage. If you were going to, uh, in one or two words, and I want you to kind of call these one or two words out to me, uh, tell me, what, it, what is good speech about? Uh, wh- what would be good speech? Good speech is? Edifying. Inspiring. Inspiring. Beneficial. Beneficial. Yeah, those kinds of things. So we started with the good. How about bad speech? What would be maybe quick de- definitions or descriptions of bad stuff? Pointless. Pointless. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm going to have to be careful here. as to what I say today, huh? Well, yeah. Things like that. You, you know it when you hear it. Either good speech or bad speech. Even more important than recognizing when somebody is maybe wasting our time with what they're saying or, or really irritating us or will they never finish. Uh, e- even more important than having those perceptions is uh, knowing and applying what God says about speech in the Bible. Now, today and next week, the Lord willing, we're going to look at the entire third chapter. The, the, the first part, which would be, in my outline, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3, is that uh, everyday faith is an audible thing. It really is. It, it, speech, it's audible. It's audible. When you think about it, you go through a day, you hear a lot of things. We say a lot of things. Most of what we know and learn is accompanied by what somebody has taught us or said about those things. It's just the way it is. Uh, James certainly warns about aspiring teachers. He warns aspiring teachers about the use of uh, speech. That first verse, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Historically, James is one of the very early books of the New Testament to be composed. Uh, It is suggested by uh, some scholars that the teaching referred to here is actually in the context of what was unique to the uh, first century, particularly early in the first century Christian experience, where Christians were still actually attending synagogue meetings. Uh, And much latitude was given for even strangers to appear and to participate in the service and to speak or to teach. You may recall in the book of Acts, the uh, Apostle Paul frequently used this courtesy that was given to uh, visitors. So when he talks about to the Jew first and also to the Greek, he would show up at a synagogue service and say, you know, isn't it wonderful what the Bible says about the coming Messiah? Well, I have something I'd like to tell you about the Messiah. Uh, I know who he is. Uh, I can tell you more about this. And he would, he would try to instruct them. So uh, James... may actually be complaining that too many believers, while maybe their intentions were great about showing up at those synagogue services and participating in them, uh, too many of them were overly anxious about speaking up and maybe kind of showing off, maybe like we were uh, uh, talking about today uh, in in the worship time. Uh, People can say things, but the attitude kind of comes through. Can't can't deny that that happens. So how does that look in our own time? Maybe even in the context of a class where we have discussion, how how do we need to, to be cautious about how either the main person teaching or the people participating in discussion enter in to that experience. What do you think? What does this have to say to us about that? I, I know that um, I've probably been guilty of uh, maybe not using my time as wisely as I might when, when I speak. Or sometimes when discussion is called for. You know, I, I trust that I've not been guilty of of trying to impress people with what I know. Probably if I've tried to do that, they have been impressed, but not with what I know. Uh, We need to be careful when we have the opportunity to participate uh, in these situations. All of us have uh, have something to to say, I'm sure, but what are we actually saying? Uh, Maybe it's good to recall some of the words of Christ to uh, teachers of his day. In uh, John chapter 3 and verse number 10, Jesus said, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not know or you do not understand these things. It is possible to be in a position of teaching and not understand as well as we should what we're teaching. That will result in not a very high quality product being delivered. And therefore people could be deprived of the understanding that they should be getting. Uh, In in chapter 9 of of John, John chapter 9 and verse uh, 41 actually, Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say, we see, and your guilt remains. If we profess that we have great insights into things and we try to share those great insights and we're kind of winging it, that can really happen if we stand before a group not well-prepared. And we try to wing it, what we're actually doing is incurring guilt. That's that's a scary thing for those of us who are involved in in some type of public speaking or leadership capacity with, with a group. So we're starting where James starts with this. A a warning to aspiring teachers or those who who would share uh, depths of understanding of things with other people. Moving on. Uh, Even seemingly insignificant speech can be a real turning point. Maybe not in a good way for people. We may think that what we say really doesn't make that much difference. But I think James is going to tell us otherwise here. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now I notice that that James did not point a finger without including himself. Well, we, we all We all need to be instructed about what we're saying. Even the small things we say can have a big effect on the direction of our own lives and on the direction of those to whom we speak. The uh, proper use of our tongues, he says, is a mark. It could be a mark of perfection. Does that scare you? I know I don't relate very well to perfect people because I don't seem to have that much in common with them. But uh, here we're not really talking about folks who have no faults. We're talking about a basic level of maturity. Basic level of maturity. Uh, What we say will quickly demonstrate our maturity in a lot of ways. When we sin with our tongues, clearly something is lacking in our lives. We're not complete, we're not as mature, spiritually, as we ought to be. You saw the reference here, the the reference to a small bit turning a large horse. We have some equestrian people here. Uh, I I grew up in the country, but I never had much to do with horses. Actually, cars were just being introduced when I was a young boy. (laughs) So, um, <clears throat> ships the same way. Compared to the overall size of a ship, what's the rudder? Doesn't look like much. But James' point is what we say is like that. We may not, we may not ascribe to it a great deal of importance, but even a few words can make a big difference, a huge difference. Uh, Here a a man in pain, in in Job chapter 19 and verse number 2. How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? He had enough problems as it was. And here his friends were trying to correct him and do whatever they were trying to do at that point, huh? You know the guy who said that sticks and stones uh, may break my bones but words will never hurt me? He must have been deaf. Words do hurt. Words can encourage or words can destroy people. Make things either better or worse. Why do you think? Let's just think for a minute. We only have a few left, but let's just... Why do you think Job's friends approached life as they did when they were talking to him? What what do you... We don't know. But why why would you suspect that they were saying the things that they said to him? Well, they, they thought they had something to offer, didn't they? Some of you may not be that familiar with what happened with Job. Job had some friends who came along when he was in dire straits, he he was suffering. And instead of comforting him, they actually came upon him with kind of accusing him. Maybe he was suffering for some of the things that he had done. So what, what would have changed their attitude? A little humility would have helped. Maybe a good look in the mirror of their own lives. Or maybe they had known a little bit more about Job's circumstances a lot of criticism is rooted in incomplete information folks, it really is tongues tongues can torch wildfires so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Boy, James gets right to it, doesn't he? Utah, we understand about wildfires. Somebody leaves a campfire without dousing it completely, stirring it and dousing it again, stirring it, dousing it again. A single ember, a breeze, some dry grass nearby. Thousands of acres can go up. Homes can be. Destroyed. And without enough warning, the people who live in those homes likewise can be destroyed. So we're, we're confronted here with the terrible destructive potential of words, of the tongue. So, yeah, we understand the Wasatch. Mountains and the Uintas, we 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 understand that the forest lands can go up in smoke and flames around us. But what about the other kinds of forests? Let's say the groves of trees who would now moving metaphorically would be the friends around us. Or how about our local church? What application do these words have to what can happen with a few incendiary words within our families, our circle of friends, or to what's supposed to be a cohesive, wonderful fellowshipping group of people known here as Gospel Hope Church. Maybe we don't need to say it aloud. Maybe we're just thinking about this. Most problems, interpersonally, within the family, within a church, are accompanied by unwise, unkind, and may I say, many times, totally unnecessary words. How much better? How much better uh, to heed what we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, instead of the wrong kind of speaking, uh, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up instead of burning down, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Remember, the book ends there. We, we build itself up, the, the, the body is built up in love, and that is facilitated with speaking the truth in love. It's not enough just to say the right things but to couch that with perceptible love and compassion in our voices way we do things is very important. James here says that a sinful tongue can set on fire the entire course of life. What a waste! If, if, if we Don't bridle our tongues and we just charge on through life saying hurtful, biting, sarcastic maybe things to people or maybe not always accurate things. If we're just careless with the way we speak, we can waste a whole life doing that. What a waste. What a waste. And what does he tell us the real source and origin is of this behavior? (laughs) Look at the last phrase. This this kind of a fire is is set on fire by by hell itself. The devil is very, very happy when we are being just very careless with with our tongues. How do we counter this this darkness? Familiar passage. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Instead of building fires that burn down, we can extinguish those destructive, fiery uh, projectiles, it says, with the shield of faith. Well, Ephesians 6 is a package deal. It's a spiritual armor. A lot of things go into that. But the shield of faith to trust the Lord and to trust his word and to trust his ways his instructions so fully that we'll even quit talking about our own opinions and doing it in our own way the shield of faith will make a big difference final point here our tongues must be tamed Uh, really we can read this and not make many comments because it'll be pretty self-evident Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The tongue can be as lethal as this. Psalm 140 and verse 3. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's and under their lips is the venom of asps. Poison can come out of our mouths. Poison. It's like a forked tongue. We can spew forth at the one moment, praises to God and on the way home we can start cursing the preacher. Or a friend, or somebody that happened, something that happened at church that we didn't like, and half an hour ago we were singing great praises together. It's happened to all of us. We've done it. Doesn't it make you feel good when you do that? You just say, "This isn't." I just know this isn't right. We must tame these tongues of ours. Uh, in, in Proverbs. It says a whisperer separates close friends. Be careful what we say about each other. Whether they're around or not. Well, John 15, 5. If we can't tame our tongues, who can? Where does the taming come from? If we're not up to this, Jesus said I am the vine, You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart apart from me, you can do nothing. Right, we can't do it. But I always couple this verse with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It can be done. So as you think about these things, as I think about these things, may we uh, have those tongues of ours tamed. May it be tamed. Isaiah said I'm a man of unclean lips. He said that. And he was a prophet. <laughs> he had to get on top of that. So I'll ask you to, uh, to pray with me in conclusion. These words. Let, let this be our concluding prayer together. Let's rise together and let's stand and read this as our concluding prayer. Reading together, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.